We are in this series called Wise Up from Proverbs, and uh, we looked at uh, the principle of wisdom and work last week, and here we are this morning. We're going to consider yet another topic, but before we get there, I want to just give you a bit of history, which some of you are very familiar with, and that is, you know, after the attack on Pearl Harbor, uh, the United States was plunged into war with Imperial Japan, and shortly after found itself in a world war with the Axis powers, including Germany, who had visions of taking over the world, and they were intent on developing a, a super weapon to overwhelm the British and from there who knows where. And so the U.S. decided that they needed to in, enter that effort as well. And so they collected and secreted some of the most brilliant scientists they could find in New Mexico. And they began to work on the Manhattan Project. And they worked feverishly from about 1942 on into 1945. And it was in May of 1945 when the European War ended. Germany surrendered. And then they completed the project. And on July 16, 1945, in the deserts of New Mexico, they detonated the first atomic bomb, having split the atom. The scientists who'd worked on the project, uh, some high-ranking military officials and politicians were gathered in a facility 20 miles away to witness that, in this protective facility, and they had protective glasses, and they could look through these slits and they saw that mushroom cloud go up and felt the heat from that. J. Robert Oppenheimer was one of the directors of the project. And he later recounted this. We knew the world would not be the same. A few people laughed. A few people cried. Most people were silent. I remembered the line from the Hindu scripture, Now I am become death the destroyer of worlds. The power of the atomic bomb was unleashed the following month when it was detonated over the cities of Hiroshima and Nagasaki, Japan, with devastating results. In fact, in October, Oppenheimer went to see the president, President Truman, and he told him, he said, I feel like I have blood on my hands. And the president told him, it's none of your concern. He said, uh, if anyone has blood on their hands, it's me. And he took responsibility for that. The decision to drop those bombs have, have been, has been debated ever since. And people have argued from both sides. But military historians and strategists have said an invasion of Japan, which is impending, was impending, would have resulted in countless more deaths than ultimately did take place to end the war on both sides. But in any case, out of that project, the power that was released was not only an ultimately destructive, but it was also and has proven to be constructive. In fact, uh, most people don't know that today, 13% of the world's electricity comes from nuclear power plants. And there's virtually no uh, greenhouse gases emitted from those plants. One in every five home and business in the U.S. receives its electricity from nuclear power. I think there's a proverb we could say that death and life 
are in the power of the atom. I mean, it can be used to destroy life, but it can be used to produce life as well. It just depends on the intent. It depends on how that power is used. The book of Proverbs says that death and life are in the power of the tongue. It can be a force for evil or for good. It too can destroy life or build it up. Do you know that in this book of Proverbs, just to the right of Psalms, there are over 90 Proverbs that relate to our speech, the words that we use. And actually, we use a lot of words. Uh, we use words continually in conversations personally, phone conversations. Every day we send out emails with words in them or texts or, or blogs or tweets. And uh, there's just incessant words. In fact, women use a lot more words than men do. It's really true, okay? And they're often more intelligent, I might say, starting at an early age. You can go to a preschool classroom, and you can see that those little girls in there are talking to each other, or they're talking to the doll they're playing with, or, or they're talking to themselves. The little boys, well... He has a plane, mm, or a car, you know, making all kinds of grunts and noises. But, and it's true, as we grow older, men don't talk as much. And often probably should talk a little more. But anyway, I won't go the other direction either. But uh, we, we, we use words a lot. And you know what? We need, as Christ followers, wisdom to know how to use the words that we do use regularly. And so what I've done this week in preparation for this message is a lot of time sifting through some of those 90 proverbs that relate to speech, words, the tongue, lips, or the mouth. All of those are encompassed in there. And I've only used a few for this message, and so I'll leave the rest to you to ponder at your leisure. But, but what I've tried to do is to pull out about five principles that I want to share with you from proverbs that relate to using wisdom for our speech. Here's the first one. Deceitful words are lethal, but words of reproof bring healing. Proverbs 4.24 says, Put away from you a deceitful mouth, and put devious speech far from you. Deceitful, or devious speech, is an attempt to mislead someone. Maybe we don't tell them everything, but just what we want them to hear. Or maybe we'll attempt to have them think something that just isn't true. For selfish reasons. That's deceitful and devious. Proverbs 28, 23. He who rebukes a man will in the end gain more favor than he who has a flattering mouth. Now flattery, and we use the term here in the islands, ho molly molly, is buttering someone up. I mean, saying all kinds of great things about them. They're just pushing the envelope, more than may be true, because we want something from that person. Flattery. The other extreme here is a rebuke, where you tell someone the truth that they may not want to hear. And we all kind of shy away from that. How many of you like to tell a friend, you know what, hey, bro, you got bad breath today. Or maybe you're supervising someone. And uh, you have to tell them, you could have done that better. Maybe you're working alongside some, someone, and you see they're slacking. 
Would you tell them that? And uh, they're, they're missing out on something really. But you know what? We don't like to be reproved. And we don't like to reprove people. Because you know why? We like to be liked. And in the moment of reproof, that's not a real popular time, is it? You probably won't be liked at that time. Later you will. But here's the thing. In Proverbs chapter 3, verses 11 and 12, it talks about our Father in heaven. He disciplines those whom he loves. Just as a father reproves a son in whom he delights. So a father wants his son, a mother wants her daughter or son to be the best that she or he can be, right? And they'll therefore speak into that child's life. And if we really care about someone, why wouldn't we? In fact, if we love someone, we would. Now here's the deal. You've got to earn the right to speak into someone's life with a word of reproof. I wouldn't go up to a stranger and rebuke them. I wouldn't reprove just an acquaintance. But when you have cared about someone and do love that person, you won't hold back. And you hope they won't with you as well. We've got to earn the right, but once having earned it, we need the courage to speak into one another's life for their good, not just see them miss out on who they could become and what they could do. Here's another principle. Slanderous words are deadly, but words that protect bring hope. Proverbs 10:18. He who conceals hatred has lying lips, and he who spreads slander is a fool. Slander is malicious talk about someone. We say, talk and stink. That is not kind about someone you're speaking of. You're concealing hatred, the proverb says. We may act nice around that person, but we're talking stink about them when they're not there. Sometimes, I don't think that's happening here at KCC, but uh, I've heard of prayer groups where people gather together and a person will say, you know what, we need to pray for so-and-so because this is what's, oh my goodness, really? And, and it becomes not a prayer meeting, but a gossip meeting. And so we've got to be careful not to slander. In fact, in Proverbs 31.8, it says this. Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, for the rights of all who are destitute. Who can't speak up for themselves? Well, I'll mention a few categories. The unborn can't speak for themselves. And they've been under attack since the Roe v. Wade decision for sure. Uh, one of the most unsafe places in America is a mother's womb. And these unborn babies can't speak for themselves. Somebody needs to, and I believe the church should weigh in on that one. We as believers should. Sometimes the elderly are just in a place they can't speak up for themselves. Who's going to stand up for them? Uh, how about the impoverished, those who are poor? They have no voice in what happens in a culture, and so somebody needs to speak up for them. The infirm, those who just can't. And I think we need to speak up for those. But I actually don't think that's who's targeted right here. I think in Proverbs here, it's talking about those who aren't present. They can't speak for themselves because they're not there. And so if somebody's speaking about them, somebody needs to speak up for them. 
And that's what Proverbs has in mind here. And sometimes we think, well, you know what? I'm not saying this. I'm just listening to the person saying it. But we're not off the hook. Proverbs 17.4 says, An evildoer listens to wicked lips. A liar pays attention to a destructive tongue. God wants us to know that listening to gossip and slander, tolerating it, is sinful. And we may lie to ourselves and say, well, I'm, I'm really not involved in this. Actually, we are. And we need, folks, to have the courage when that happens, when someone comes to us and they're talking about somebody else in that kind of a demeaning way, we need to say, whoa, whoa, time out. You know, that person's not here. I don't know that this is even truthful or helpful. Uh, let's pray for that person. But then let's go to that person and talk to that person and see how we can come alongside and encourage that person. Well, that won't be well received maybe in the moment, that's important. Sometimes a person can say, well, I don't know why everybody comes to me and talks about other people, but I guess I'm a good listener. That's not a good thing. Uh, we can become a garbage collector uh, with gossip if we're not careful and willing to speak up for those who can't speak for themselves because they're not there. Here's the third principle. Many words are mind-numbing. But wise people guard their lips. Proverbs 10:19. When there are many words, transgression is unavoidable. But he who restrains his lips is wise. A lot of these proverbs, it's fun to pick up the Living Bible, which paraphrases the actual words, puts them into our vernacular. And uh, I like the paraphrase of Proverbs 10:19 in the Living Bible. It says this. Don't talk so much. You keep putting your foot in your mouth. Be sensible and turn off the flow. We as Americans treasure freedom of speech, and we should. We, we can say whatever we want without fear of government censure or imprisonment. But as followers of Christ, we should choose to limit our freedom. Oh, we can say lots of things, but we shouldn't say some things if we want to honor the Lord and really love and care for people around us. Rabbi Joseph Teleskin, he wrote a book called Words That Hurt, Words That Heal. And he goes around and he lectures on this. And he, he will ask audiences, he'll say, you know, it, it, let me ask you a question. How many of you think that you can go for the next 24 hours without saying an unkind word? or negative thing to or about another person. And he'll ask for a show of hands. And invariably, a few timid hands will go up. And uh, then a lot of people will start laughing. And a lot of people will say, no way. And then he says this. Those who can't answer yes must recognize you have a serious problem. If you can't go 24 hours without drinking liquor, you're addicted to alcohol. If you can't go 24 hours without smoking, you're addicted to nicotine. Similarly, if you can't go 24 hours without saying unkind words about others, then you've lost control over your tongue. James says that uh, the one that can control his tongue is a perfect person. Well, there's no perfect people here. 
And I think we probably could all acknowledge that, me first and foremost. But we can grow, and I'll talk about that in just a moment. But we as a staff, through the years, have taken an assessment to help us communicate with each other, to understand one another. And it's called Leading from Your Strengths. And uh, I picked that manual up here just last week to look at it. And I was flipping through it, and I came to Ron. And, well, how do they communicate with me, and how should they? And it tells my idiosyncrasies, as if I had any, and uh, that kind of thing. And then it says, okay, when you communicate with Ron, here's some do's and don'ts. I was struck by a couple of them. One of them said, do be clear, specific, brief, and to the point. Don't ramble on or waste his time. Can any of you identify with that? It also had areas for improvement. Ron can be more patient. He can learn to, you know. And so, okay, I understand that. I think it started when I was a kid. I remember sitting in those church services as a kid. I mean, we, we didn't have children's church in the little country church I went to. We sat there and listened to those long sermons and those prayers where I'm thinking, when is this going to end? I have to confess that. And now I'm guilty. I'm the one with the words up here. So I'll try to be brief here and get to the point. But... Proverbs says, he who guards his lips guards his life, but he who speaks rashly will come to ruin. If we just, you know, voice every thought that we have rashly, well, you know where that leads. In Proverbs 17, 28, even a fool is thought wise if he keeps silent and discerning if he holds his tongue. I admire people that are really thoughtful. And think a thing out. I, I mean, you're in a meeting, and some of you can identify this, and, and uh, we're talking in that meeting, and some of us do a lot of talking in those meetings. And then finally somebody will say, well, uh, what do you think, Shirley? And she hasn't said anything. And then Shirley says, well, I think this. And we all say, yeah, we should have listened to Shirley 20 minutes ago. <laughs> We'd have saved a lot of time. She's thinking instead of talking. In fact, Proverbs 25:11 says, like apples of gold in settings of silver is a word spoken in right circumstances. I'd like to be that kind of person. But in order to do so, we have to guard our mouths and think. Here's a fourth principle. Spiteful words cut deeply, but soothing words bring healing. Proverbs 12:18. Here's a great word picture. There is one who speaks rashly like the thrusts of a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Can't you just picture that? Two people are talking, and one is using cutting remarks, a sharp tongue, and it's like thrusts of a sword. May win that discussion, but that leaves wounds and scars. And I think parents especially, uh, we need to be so careful about that. Because when you speak to a child and you're angry or you're frustrated and you talk about their intelligence or lack thereof in the moment or their ability or lack thereof, and we think, well, I've moved past that, they probably haven't. They'll remember those words. Those are scars that they carry with them and that come out later in ugly ways or actually determine the course of their lives. In fact, Proverbs 
refers to that. It, it says, what is done to you, Derek Kidner says, what is done to you is of little account be, beside what is done in you for good or for ill. Teachers also have an amazing impact on people's lives. With the, How many of you remember something positive a teacher said about you and your ability? How many of you remember something negative? Wow, I do. I remember several things that were said to me, and it really made an impact in my life. We need to understand that Proverbs 15.4 says, the tongue that brings healing is a tree of life, but a deceitful tongue crushes the spirit. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a pastor in Germany. In fact, during the Nazi regime, he was later executed just before the end of the war for his resistance to Hitler and the German army. But he wrote many amazing and just profound books, and in one of them he said this, the Christian needs another Christian who speaks God's word to him. The Christ in his own heart is weaker than the Christ in the word of his brother. His own heart is uncertain. His brother's is sure. And when he says that we all need somebody to speak God's word to us, he doesn't, he's not talking about the Bible there. He's talking about the word that God gives you to give to that brother or sister who is hurting or depressed, or discouraged, and disheartened. And here comes a brother or sister coming along, bringing God's word of hope, and help, and encouragement. And that is a tree of healing to those who hear it. Some of the most important words that are often unsaid, I am sorry. C.S. Lewis, uh, he wrote The Mark of the Christian, among many other books, and he said this, it means that when I have failed to love my Christian brother, I go to him and say, I'm sorry. It may sound simplistic to start with saying we are sorry and asking forgiveness, but it is not. That is the way of renewed fellowship, whether it is between a husband and wife, a parent and child, or within the Christian community. And so I think we can think back to this past week. Hmm. Have I been a tree of life, if I brought healing or otherwise in my comments to those in my family, those I work with, those in my church family. Here's a fifth and final principle. Lies destroy relationships, but the Lord delights in those who speak truth. Who lies in our culture? What comes to mind? Well, politicians lie. They do. I've had more than one politician in this community lie to me in a group of pastors and then flip-flop on that thing. It's like, are you kidding? No, that's kind of the way of life for a lot of politicians. Uh, advertisers lie to help sell their products. Folks in the media, they've been pushing lies, and we hear the term fake news a lot, and it's really sad when anyone in the media makes up stories or twists them to create a particular... Uh, response. But actually, studies reveal that most people tell lies to defend themselves or protect themselves or to avoid hurting someone. And that's not a good thing, actually. Um, a lying tongue hates those it crushes. 
and a flattering mouth works ruin, Proverbs 26, 28 says. So we're really not helping anyone, including ourselves, by lying. And in fact, studies have shown that if we are willing to tell small lies, we call them white lies, uh, that the more we do that, the more likely we are to escalate into larger lies. People that have been caught in large lies talk about that progression that took place. And you know what? The studies show that something happens in the brain when we start telling small lies to where it actually is desensitized in that area of the brain and we think it's not that big a deal. Someone put it this way, and that uh, if you put on a strong perfume, you'll notice it really clearly for the first few days, and then after a few days, it's not as noticeable. And a month later, you don't notice it at all. That's the way it is with the lies that we tell. In fact, Proverbs 12:22 says, Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but those who deal faithfully are his delight. Folks, lies destroy relationships and trust. Truth rebuilds trust and those relationships. But it doesn't come quickly once that trust is broken. It's like a vase. If your vase is dropped and broken into a lot of pieces, can it be repaired? Yes. But it's going to take time and a lot of effort. And so it is to rebuild trust with the truth. And it's worth every moment of it, but we avoid a lot of trouble if we will tell the truth in the first place. And most of us can testify, I know the truth of that one. Let me finish with a wonderful overarching principle here. And that's this. Our words have power to spread God's grace. That good news. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29, the Apostle Paul said this, Let no unwholesome, or rotten is the literal translation, let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. Isn't that great? We can, yeah, we can use our words in negative ways and destructive ways, but... As followers of Christ, we can use them as vehicles of God's grace, spreading His grace wherever we go. Now, let me ask you this. What do you think, having heard of the negative and the positive outcomes of our speech, did any of those areas bring conviction? I would guess it's a pretty you know, wide group of us that would have to acknowledge, yeah, well, I would say if that's true, there's one or two responses you could have. One would be, wow, that's really amazing. Proverbs has practical advice, and the Bible does have practical counsel for us. I needed to hear this, and I can't, can't wait to apply this in my marriage or in my work relationship or with my kids or grandkids, and so you're encouraged by this, and I hope that's the case. But some of you may be thinking, oh, no. I've been a fool with my words. I've, I've alienated my spouse. I've injured my kids. I've lost a friendship. Why even try? I'm defeated. Well, if that's how you feel, you need to hear the gospel. You need to hear the good news. Because the good news is 
that Christ died for your sins and mine. And that means when he was nailed to the cross, he took upon himself every rash word that we've spoken, every lie that we've told, every insult that we've expressed, uh, the braggy, braggadocious comments that we've made, even our times of guilty silence. When he was nailed to that cross, he pushed the delete button, and those are gone if we put our trust in Christ and ask him to forgive us. And, and it even gets better. Because he gives us the power to change even our speech and our words and to be purveyors of grace. You know, we, uh, we, un we need to understand that uh, religion is if we go out of here and say, well, I'm going to try to do better with my speaking. That's just an external thing. But the gospel says when we put our faith in Christ, he comes into our lives in the presence of the Holy Spirit. He changes us from the inside out. That's called a relationship with God. And then he changes us as daily we yield to him and ask him to help us. And he will. He changes our heart. And that's what needs to be changed because it's out of the heart that these words come that are destructive. And so if we'll trust the Lord, if we'll ask him to forgive us, if we'll ask him to change us from within and empower us, we will see transformation. Grace will flow from our lips and others will be built up and encouraged. Let's ask Jesus this week to be our speechwriter. Let's bow for prayer. Lord, thank you for the words that you've given to us, that you've expressed towards us. Grace, peace, mercy, forgiveness, and empowerment, transformation. Lord, we're so grateful that you speak into our lives and that you give us the opportunity to be changed as we believe and act in faith and are able to speak into the lives of those around us. God, transform us for your glory, we pray in your name. Amen.